Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast, a curated series of interviews and discussions highlighting the three shields of orthopedic surgery at Mayo Clinic, clinical practice, research, and education. Welcome to another edition of the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Podcast. I'm excited to have today Matt Abdel. He's a professor of orthopedic surgery with us here and a hip and knee adult reconstruction specialist. He also is the chair of our research division in orthopedic surgery. Thanks for joining us here today, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having us, uh, John. Uh, It's a pleasure on behalf of the division to be here and talk about exciting things we have in the Division of Orthopedic Surgery Research at the Mayo Clinic. One of the things I really wanted to focus on today is is for orthopedic residents, but also um, it, I think it's helpful for anybody who does clinical research, which is how do we be successful with clinical research during residency and then focusing also on, on beyond residency. I think it's an overwhelming task. Some of us, um, you particularly have been extremely successful in publishing a high volume of clinical papers. But as we start, I think sometimes it's overwhelming to think about how to navigate the research system. First, can you talk to us about your research training and background? How did you come about it? And is this something that you need a PhD in biostatistics to be able to be effective with uh, clinical research? Or is it some any of us, any of us can learn? That's a good question, John. Uh, it's something that any of us can do. And I think fundamentally it comes down to you having a passion for it. And I'll tell you, uh, I initially... I uh, did not do a lot of research. I graduated from residency with, you know, 10 or 12 papers, but I really got the bug for it right after that and began became a big researcher. I think at Mayo, what really got me uh, enthralled with the research were the faculty that I worked with who had a true passion for what they were researching, that is doing clinical and translational research to help patient care. So I often give the analogy that it's not zebrafish research. It was was research that was directly related to the practice. And um, it can be overwhelming, but the way I break it down is pretty simple, is start with a single project with a mentor you trust and respect and learn throughout that the research methodologies that make you successful. And my first paper I wrote took me 100 hours, and now I can write a paper in an hour, literally, right? So you go through this process, you cut out the waste material, and that's what's unique at Mayo is the faculty would teach you not only the content, but how to do research efficiently and ethically. That's, that's really helpful. And I think having a system or a methodology helps. And, and part of it is having some interest or background knowledge in, in what you're doing. When do you think is a good time to get started with a research project? We obviously have people who plug in as med students, but um, do you think you need to wait until third, fourth, or fifth year? Do you think it can, you can learn on the fly? Well, you can learn anytime, but I I do think that the best time is early. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think it's early because you actually learn a lot about orthopedics by doing the research, right? So you read the literature, you do a PubMed search, you write an introduction. So you learn a lot. The best way is you read it, you write it, and you look at it again. So I think starting early is the way to go. And the other thing is, is, you know, for instance, like in my own case, is I started doing research. I really recognized I enjoyed it and I did more. So we have people that might start later and realize, I actually want to go into academics. I actually am interested in an academic practice. And you can get more knowledge from that if you start earlier. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a little bit hard to know too, that um, you probably now have a good sense, but it's a little hard to know for yourself early on how long some, a project's going to take you. So sometimes it it takes a couple, 
steps forward, a couple steps back. So having a, an early jump on it uh, certainly can allow you to have more of those projects completed. And one of yeah. the things I always talk to residents about uh, as they go out, because everybody wonders about how many papers they need to do to get a fellowship, et cetera, et cetera. And I think one of the, one of the things that most fellowship uh, and you're involved in fellowship application process, but most of the fellowships, I think value completion more yeah. than volume, just that you can start a project, you can complete it, see it all the way through, get it published. So uh, the earlier, the better in terms of that. How do, you, how do you typically develop a research idea or a project? Does it come from uh, reading? Does it come from some, a patient that you see or is it a variety? It's, uh, at this point, it's a variety. So uh, I think three main areas. Number one, which is the most intriguing is there's a, there's a patient pathology that we don't have a good solution for, or we've changed something, we want to study it. Number two, at a high-level academic institution like the Mayo Clinic, are the meetings that we're at with our peers. So we hear talks, we hear other research papers, and we think about it. And number three, to be honest with you, John, is I get a lot of ideas from our own residents and fellows. So they say, hey, Dr. Abdel, have you, have you ever, ever looked at X? I say, no, we haven't. That'd be a great opportunity for us to look at it with the robust resources that we have here at Mayo Clinic. So those are kind of the three main areas that I get my, most of my research hypotheses from. Yeah, and I think it's the easiest if it really comes from something organic and you say, well, I got a, I got a, I've got a patient who I don't know what to do with and there's a void in the literature, but there's a lot of other iterative approaches where you say, well, this is an area that um, the research just needs to be updated or, uh, you, you know, the best research is 15 years old and you know the, the practice has changed. Right. How do you, how would you recommend a resident get started? Sort of first steps, laying out a plan. Obviously, I think you mentioned the mentorship uh, connection, so... Some of it is just finding a good research mentor who's been a finisher as well. But um, where do you go from there? What are the first steps? Yeah, that's also a, a great question. So here's my recommendation usually to the residents is the first thing I do is a literature search. And that's important. So I'll go to PubMed, I'll type in the topic, and I'll read everything I know about it. And I try to, not to do things twice. So I'll actually save those PDFs right there. And I'll write my introduction. And I'll write the introduction and say, what does the literature have? Or what is what's missing from the literature. And then I'll develop my hypothesis. I'll have the PDF saved. I'll create my endnote, my reference list. And then I'll move forward with the IRB. And then I'll see what data we have and work with the mentor, you know, for residents I recommend, work with the mentor on what is the best way to approach that statistically and study design. So there's a very uh, systematic and methodical way to do this successfully so that you avoid getting to the end of the project and saying, all right, we need to shelf this project or we need to bag the project. I try to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, I think that's one of the strategies that we learned um, as, as well, that I learned as a resident in terms of writing is almost write the paper before, yep. rather than say, I wanna look up all the literature related to some patient population or um, all, the, all the patient reported outcomes on some patient population, because right. it's the last thing you want is to be serially going back through the charts to find one addition, additional piece of information. So almost writing the paper or particularly if it's a large uh, data set, uh, having several drafts that you're going to make of uh, different manuscripts that might come out of it. So you really have to touch each of those charts only once. Seems it's just critical. like surgery, right? So it's all the preoperative planning will pay off intraoperatively. All the work before you actually open up that spreadsheet and do the data analysis will pay dividends far longer than you anticipate. Thoughts about your approach to manuscript preparation? Is it kind of something where you, um, you, 
you've obviously got a draft that's been going as you've been working through the process, but is it uh, a process where you really sit down and do kind of try and do it all at once in one big chunk? Um, and, and any other tips for people who say, well, I'm not a good quote unquote, a good writer about opportunities to improve their skills there. Yeah. So I'm very methodical in how I do this. And so I follow a format that's been a waiting format. And so what I'll usually say is go to the journal that you're targeting, know what you're targeting and see how they format. I mean, at least get that part. And I always start with the title page and an abstract. I usually target 250 to 300 words. And then I go through a standard introduction, patience and methods, results and discussion. And I'll usually try to do it in big batches, not all at once. So I'll have introduction and the most of the discussion, the very first and last parts of the discussion done. And then I'll do the materials methods or patients methods all at once. And I'll do the results at once. And I try to draft the entire manuscript and then write the abstract because now I know study design hypotheses, specific aims, what the results showed. And then I say, let the discussion be your editorial. Don't bring results into discussion or discussion into results, but let that be your editorial. And that's, that's kind of my formula that I've taken uh, over the last 10 years. Yeah, one of the, uh, as you know, we're, we're talking some about this, these leadership principles and things like that here. And one of, the, one of the books that I really enjoy is called Deep Work, which talks about sort of having a discrete amount of time where you can really focus and go deep. And I think many writers, especially in creative writing, say, just write a paragraph a day, do things like that. And I think with manuscript writing, my sense is that uh, you, it takes a little while to get yourself back into the mind of understanding the literature, where you were, what the project looks like, what the numbers look like. And the more you can get done in a really discrete amount of time around that, the better off you are. So maybe a few small chunks of time rather than uh, certainly data, um, like chart review you can do in uh, smaller right. blocks, but it seems like bigger blocks of time are, are, are super helpful. Yeah, 80% of the effort is getting your mind wrapped around it, re remembering what you read for the literature or what you wrote. So when I get to that stage, I try to do that, do that really big blocks of time and just do it almost all at once. That's great. Yeah. Um, other thoughts about, what about a project that you say you either picked up from somebody else or you've, you've worked through it and you say, it's going to be a little too small compared to the, the literature. My, my data is not very good. Um, thoughts on either pushing one through to completion uh, pivoting to some other topic of similar interest or even just killing projects sooner rather than later when, when they're not going the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I try not to kill projects. Um, that, that usually says a failure of preoperative planning. Uh, I call it in uh, hypothesis-driven research or evidence-based research. So uh, like my analogy with surgery before, it's all about making sure that that hypothesis before you start to do all the work is of value. The specific aims are of value and that you actually have the repository of the data to execute the research. So at this point, uh, we don't kill uh, really any projects. So we've done all the work on the front end to make sure it's a high value project that we're gonna see it to completion. Now, sometimes there are those projects that take a left turn, you find findings that aren't anticipated. You can always find um, value in that data, even the so-called negative results. Those are still publishable, they're still important. The key is just being honest with what you find. If the numbers are smaller, then don't overemphasize your your discussion, your results, or your findings. Just be honest with what you found. That's great. And for for all the residents out there, I know you've probably mentored I don't know uh, maybe hundreds of of residents. What are what are some of the characteristics of residents that are super successful at getting research 
uh, done effectively? And uh, the flip side, maybe what are some less effective or what are strategies or um, issues that residents run into where you say, gosh, this is, this is a problem um, <laughs> as a research mentor? So uh, number one, uh, we've talked about it, is do the work up front. Know the literature, get your references, write your introduction, know where you're going. Number two, have a very discrete hypothesis. And I like to write in threes. So I've got three specific aims. And in my results, I will follow those. Aim A, B, and C. And I'm going to study A, B, and C. And my discussion follows that. So stay on script. And then finally, keep the ball going forward. So you don't want to all of a sudden go left and start studying hypothesis B, C, and D in that particular paper when your goal is this hypothesis with these aims. So stay on target with that. I always say, you know, mentorship's important. So make sure that who you work with will give you the time, energy, and effort, which we're very fortunate here at Mayo Clinic for that to be the case with everybody in our department. Number two, funding. So make sure you have the resources available. And a lot of that is funding for statistical analysis. Lots of journals require now fees. And then finally, responsiveness. So I like a good back and forth. So I always say if a resident has invested all this time in looking at the data, if they write to me, I'm immediately available to discuss that, answer questions, and push the ball forward. That's super helpful. So if I if I can kind of summarize and then we'll uh, let you close with any last minute thoughts that you have. But it sounds to me, I think a lot of us say, well, I'm just not that into research. But I think one of the takeaway points from this conversation today is that doing clinical research um, can really help you understand topics better uh, okay. because you really do a deep dive into the the literature that's available and you understand it much better if you have to write about it than if you've just read it. I think the second part is it seems critical to have a, a, a well-aligned and well-oiled and well-thought-out plan as you go forward and to do each of the steps in manuscript preparation as you cross uh, that line. So between mentorship, uh, planning, um, and then that execution phase, having, that, having a game plan for that uh, beforehand allows it to sound like it's much more efficient than some of our sort of meandering uh, processes through, through the development of clinical research. Thanks yeah, so much for joining us, Matt. Any other thoughts for us? No, John, I was just going to say you've summarized it nicely. Uh, you know, this will give you an unbelievable amount of knowledge for your own orthopedic education. It helps patients and it helps surgeons across the globe. So those are the three big goals with research. And it's really, in my practice, interwoven with my clinical practice. They're not, they're not separate from each other. It informs my practice. My practice informs my research. And it's truly translating patient care. So thanks for allowing me to participate. And I think uh, the group will have found this helpful. Thanks so much for all the work you do on the uh, research uh, shield here. We're, we uh, certainly appreciate all your contributions. And thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks, John. Thank you.